0: Welcome to another In Wheel Time podcast, a 30-minute mini version of the In Wheel Time Car Show that airs live every Saturday, 9.30 a.m. to noon central. And welcome to the In Wheel Time Car Show, your go-to everything, all things automotive car talk show. Glad that you could join us on this Saturday. Coming up this hour, if I can get all these pages out of the way. Uh, we're going to have the 2021 review of the Dodge Durango Hellcat. A look at our weekly events calendar, and we'll have the stories making automotive news headlines this week. That and more just ahead on today's In Wheel Time Car Show for Saturday, January 30th, 2021. Howdy along with Mike out of this world Mars, King Conrad DeLong, Jeff Zekin right off camera over there, Don Armstrong. And the only reason Jeff's off camera, because we don't have enough room in the studio here. To seat Jeff. There's Jeff. Hit, hit, and hit. you know what? Everybody wants more Jeff. They, they do. do. Yeah. There he is. And here I am. I know. For the rest of the show. Just, just like this. Just like that. That's perfect. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Looking <laughs> up
1: your nose. Ah.
0: That, well, there is that. So <laughs> he did that. I, I had nothing to do with that. At any rate, we're glad that you could join us on this Saturday on the In Wheel Time Car Show. We're going to talk about books. Now, I know this isn't racing. And
1: not it, all of us can read
0: Yeah, especially at my age. Look at the glasses that I've got now. They're Coke bottle bottoms, but whatever. Uh, It works for me. Are those
1: trifocals?
0: They're not. Bifocals? No. Those are uh, readers from readers.com. Okay. That's all they are.
1: These are readers from the dollar store.
0: Yeah. Well, I used to do the dollar store readers, but the problem with those is they don't last very long. For me, that's why you buy a bunch of them. Well, yeah. Did the prescriptions run out or something, or you? No, the number just
1: doesn't go high enough for Don right now. <laughs> it never has. <laughs> that's when you wear two pair and melt away.
0: On the line with us is Mr. Ken McGee, and uh, he uh, is here to talk to us today about automotive books, and we'll get to that in, in just a moment. Ken, Let how are literature. you? It's good. To, it's good to talk to you. How are you, Ken? Hello, Ken. Hello. Okay. Ken. Well. Um, there goes that interview. But thank you, Ken, for participating. We'll figure it out and maybe be able to get back to you here in a little while. But in the meantime and in between time, I uh, did want to tell you about an automotive recall. And that's uh, the 350,000 Pathfinders over the brake light switch defect. Now, this is the second time that this has happened. Uh, They're recalling more than 350 Pathfinder midsize crossovers globally over a defect with the brake light switch that could cause brake lights to remain illuminated even when the brakes are not applied. The latest recall, which affects certain 2013 to 15 Pathfinders, provides a new remedy to previously recalled Pathfinders from 2013 to 2014 model years. So they're recalling the recall. They're recalling the recall because huh. they didn't fix it right. Like the of
1: airbags. The driver also <laughs> may be able to shift
0: the vehicle out of park or start the engine without depressing the brake, brake pedal, potentially increasing the risk of a crash or rollaway. away. Okay.
1: Interesting. So you know, you remember General Motors a few years ago had the uh, the uh, power steering and ignition switch recall yes. on all of the I mean, hundreds of. Is it a cobalt? About eight, yeah, about it a cobalt. Yeah, cobalt. There was a bunch of uh, Pontiac and Oldsmobile and mm-hmm. Saturn yes. products. Eight hundred thousand vehicles. So General Motors has agreed uh, to uh, pay out on that. Uh, in a class action settlement, and they're going to pay out $121 million.
0: Which is nothing.
1: Well, it's $35 million to the the attorneys, and each consumer will get about $110. Thank you very much. Class action lawsuits do nothing but make attorneys rich. I mean my my personal opinion, I've seen I agree. I've seen class action lawsuits <laughs> through the years. And uh, you know, any of those people who had one of those vehicles and that system failed easily spent a thousand dollars to fix it.
2: We're gonna take a bar exam tonight, as a matter of fact. So we, we can are. get in on some of that money. <laughs> Not that you
1: kind of bar though. Not that kind of bar. Oh, okay. A different kind of bar. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, went right past
0: me. I know I'm it. sorry, went right past Very
1: me. Very unusual. Um, yeah, I, I, Boy, I had a dull moment there. <laughs> Squirrel. It's okay. Uh,
0: you know, uh, you you have family in California. You know people in in Colorado, and that went over your head. Yes, yes. <laughs> but you know, I. I- when you do
1: the math on some of these big lawsuits that happen, do the math all the way and figure out, yeah, they're getting $121 million, but virtually the customers are
0: getting nothing. Right. You yeah. know, and then that... that it's- Plus, you don't rule out the fact of the pain in the butt factor for the people that own the car, because now you got to take the car in again mm-hmm. and get it fixed, which will keep you out of the car for two, three days. Oh, easily. Easily. And then... Get it fixed, and boy, for all that time and trouble, you're going to pay me 110000 $110, dollars.
2: Right? I don't so
0: think the technicians so. are making more money on it
2: for the repairs. Not than, really. Well,
0: if not they, really. Getting a warranty on it. I understand, but you know, when it comes to that kind of, he'll tell you. Yeah. When it comes to that kind of warranty work, mechanic doesn't make anything. Well, you, off of you that. do no. enough of them at a time. I mean,
1: well. No. Yes and no. I mean, ultimately, that when they when they come to a recall, they've trimmed all of the the profit out of it for both the dealership and for the technicians. So, you know, technicians work on productivity. They get paid X amount of time to do a job. Whether it take you know, if they get paid an hour to do a job and they can do it in a half hour, they're being productive. If they get paid an hour to do a job and it takes them three hours, then they're losing money. Right. So usually in the recall world. Um, GM has kind of trimmed it down as tight as they can. So if it if they pay a half hour it takes a half hour to do or might take uh, you know a little bit more than 30 minutes to do. and that's you know kind of natural in in the world of things. As- you know I have to
0: ask. and you would probably know I don't know the answer to this. but I guess what it is curious to me, when they supply the suppliers, with the actual facts of what it is that they want with the drawings, and this is the, this is all the stuff that we want you to make a brake pedal. Mm-hmm. We want this design. Yeah, the, v- the
1: vendors, right.
0: Mm-hmm. Do they, once they make the part for them, do they go through a process that says, okay, this will work now, that won't work?
1: Oh, val- yeah, oh, yeah. they go through pretty heavy it's validation. R&D. Yeah, R&D. Yeah, they, well, no, how no, they- the R&D is the stuff as they give the, the vendor the specs, specs that on. they want the vendor to meet. And then the vendor produces x number of parts. And now this is years before the vehicle goes out into production, then the vendor gives the parts to whoever the manufacturer is, and it goes through a validation process which is basically to a large degree a bench test. You know, because they might not have the the total vehicle finished to put it in a vehicle. Right. So it goes through a bench test and if it passes the bench test, G Whoever the manufacturer says, well, I need six hundred thousand of these. The vendor gears up and and builds all their tooling to produce it. And that's
2: why the tire manuf the same thing with tire manufacturers when they have multiple manufacturers on one vehicle, like a Mustang or a a pickup truck, right? Which is very common. You have different manufacturers because of the recall aspect of that, the DOT requirements. And with when I was with Pirelli for many years, they actually had a tire dyno.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh they yeah. would
2: put a tire on there and actually intently destroy it.
1: Because it had to meet certain specs. Right. So as these vendors produce these parts, these components to meet those specs the spec is met basically on a bench. And then when, once they put them in the car and you insert all of these other influences um, and they begin building the car, now things go wrong and that can lead to a lot of recalls. Let
0: me ask you this Do, does, does the, the the company that makes the part, which is not the the car manufacturer, the company that makes the part, do they not have something in the in a, a clause in some sort of a legal document that says, hey, look, you know, if you screw up, you're paying for it, not oh, yeah, us.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a... I'll call it, in my world, when I was working at General Motors, this is a chargeback charge back. Back mm-hmm. to the vendor, which is why Takata is, has uh, gone through Chapter 11. Chapter 7, Chapter – I can't remember which, but uh, Takata has gone through – Chapter 11 is of, where they
2: repay the debt. Chapter yeah. 7 is where you're done.
1: I'm glad you know the difference. I, I don't. Well, Takata has gone through some kind of bankruptcy. Right. Uh, but they're Probably still 11. in business. Um, and, and there is a chargeback uh, to those vendors on the recalls as well, which is why a lot of times the vendors are pretty heavily involved in the resolution and to the recall. To Don's
2: point with the, the vendor or the manufacturer of the part, you know where you see a lot of that is in racing, where they'll have a drivetrain that goes bad or a, of lifters or valves or springs that continually go bad. And the answer is well, our supplier right is the bad guy in
1: this. But you and, see a lot of that in racing. And, well, it, it is in manufacturing as well, because they don't manufacture, I'll, I'll say, a valve spring. That's bought from another isky yeah, or, right. or whoever else makes them. Yeah. Um, and, and the spec is given to that manufacturer that says, look, I need this spring to sit this tall, I need to have this much tension when it's right. compressed. It needs to be a multi-level spring. It needs to be able to hold its durability at X RPM for X amount of time. They take it, they bench test it and it works. And then you put it in a car and it breaks. And, and then you call it, you, and, and then you call it Takata. After that, well, well, you you <laughs> fix it under warranty, and if they can read, you know, at just fixing it under warranty, there isn't always necessarily a charge back right. to the vendor on that, um, but there can be in certain instances. So, yeah, the vendors are held financially accountable for defective work, but ultimately the buyer holds the manufacturer of the vehicle accountable for it because they don't realize that Takata was making the airbags. What's well, the end liability is what it is. Right, right. So um, they just see, I bought this vehicle, and I've had the airbag recalled now three times. The same airbag's been recalled three times. Well, there must be something wrong with that manufacturer's vehicle when the problem is coming from... The vendor that's giving that manufacturer a pretty bad, pretty bad name in the marketplace, and the vendor charges the manufacturer, the uh, the manufacturer charges the vendor back for that. But the problem, you know, the damage done to the brand um, is pretty monumental
0: in some instances. Well, uh, let's see. I'm the manufacturer. I'm Chevrolet. I bought all these Takata airbags. Now I got to have them recalled. Mm -hmm. How many customers have I lost as a Chevrolet? Dealer, mm-hmm. because they're never going to buy this because we've recalled it three times, and it's all on you. Yeah. So everybody's a loser in this. But yes. there's a bigger picture with all the manufacturers, not just General Motors. Well, I, uh, well
1: but, t- but in, in Takata there is because Takata was such a wide vendor. Takata provided airbags to probably 80, 85 percent of
2: the That's industry. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So you can't really fault one manufacturer, car manufacturer. No, it can't. Man-
1: you, you can't because you understand the Takata vendor piece, but
0: some people don't. I don't understand why then all of these manufacturers put all of this money into one supplier, right? because that way you've got all Takata airbags through all of your, pretty much all of your vehicles that you manufacture. How many customers did it cost the, let's say Chevrolet to go through this BS with Takata? Not only that, but the injuries and the deaths too. All well, of it,
1: yeah, and well, and it also had the same impact on the Hondas, on the uh, Toyotas, and on the Nissans, um, and you know everybody's been impacted from it. And with the Takata thing, maybe it's so broad that you know they're moving around but everybody's on the move because their opinion is I'm recalled three times for the same thing. And and, and I say that because the recall you just talked about was a recall of a recall, uh, which generally meant that the vendor was involved in in resolving the recall. And that's why sometimes when a recall is announced it's announced before the parts are available. So, you know, you get the recall notice at home, and they say, we'll contact you when the parts are available. That's because they've identified the problem, but they haven't identified the, 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 the fix. permanent correction. Right. Or, they, or, they don't have manufactured parts. or they don't have the part manufactured for the permanent correction, which is where Takata comes in. You know, because the Takata airbag, they knew the problem was corrosion in the airbag module itself, but... They didn't have a resolution to it, so the first two recalls, you were just putting back in the same thing you were taking out. Just the new one wasn't rusted, but it was going to rust over time, right? Based in whatever your environment. And originally,
2: is. when you said you just brought it up with the, the rust or the corrosion, it was only in certain states they right. were finding this, and then it blossomed like and blew us. up
1: into every. Correct. Everywhere, yeah, because it was originally in the Gulf Coast area. Well,
2: the Arizona, the, the the
1: Arizona wasn't the, involved. Colorado right. wasn't involved temperate, because they didn't have right. the humidity issues. So you know, uh, and and then you know, anything on corrosion, certain parts of the country aren't going to experience it like others early on, but they're going to experience it. So that's why Takata airbags went. Well, basically worldwide, because they were such a huge vendor of airbags to Europeans, uh, Koreans, uh, Americans, well, everybody used and them. and, uh, a- and uh, Asian cars. Everybody used them because yeah. they could produce. You know,
0: they could and, produce it, it and all, at a much, much lower cost because of the volume. scale. It's, and it's and low it bidder. Be-
1: you know, you, you got low bidder is uh, is who's putting airbags in your car. You got low bidder who's putting brakes on your car as well you know it's it's kind of scary to think especially after what i just talked about uh on uh on, on the brake fluid yeah. and stuff you know but that's the nature of the business you know um so yeah airbags well, i'm
0: all for making money but however when it comes to things that are really really important things like uh, airbags mm-hmm. that blow up in your face for no reason at all let's let's spend another 10 cents And get one that doesn't blow up, because that's probably what it all boiled down to. Yeah, and you'd be surprised.
1: Well, you'd be real surprised at how little the cost is to make those adjustments in something. But when you're building, you know, 30 million components, if I can save 10 cents a component, I've saved $3 million. You know, and it...
0: You don't have a microphone and it, yeah. on, right?
1: <laughs> and it and it adds and it adds up pretty quick. Well what Mike was saying is it gets down to the pennies. And he's right, it does get down to the pennies as a as a cost of scale. Um it it is, you know, they they do things to save a cent here and a cent there. Um and it costs a lot of money to fix when they don't do it right. It's the bottom line you get what you pay for.
0: Well, okay, so, so with that in mind. Let's just take, for instance, a performance car. Let's take a Chevrolet Camaro, okay? And let's take a Z... What is it? ZR1? ZL1? ZL1 with a okay. supercharger. Right. So it's got upgraded brakes, upgraded suspension. Well, Chevrolet put that on there at an extra cost to Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. But They pass it on to you. Are they going to... Yes. Spend, yeah.
1: Yeah, they do. That's the option cost.
0: Right. So... Why not just raise the price of the cars across the board to put those on there? Because if you're going to buy a Camaro, you want to have the performance. Not the the six-cylinder. I got that. But if I'm going to buy a Z28, a V8, anything... Aren't I going to want to have the brake upgrade and the other stuff that goes along with it?
1: And, and most of that they package together, that there is a cost increase to it. You know, look at some of the cars you you review. You know, your base price is $25,000. My price is tested is 40, $42,000. So all of those upgrades and content and package optioning uh, are there. But still, there is somebody trying to save a penny along the way because every penny they can save you make is a million profit, yeah you right? make
0: a million cars well one yeah. penny adds up to be a lot so
1: and and when that that decision involves uh safety and quality um that's what damages the brand image quickly and if you look at it over time those brand images have been damaged on certain manufacturers um over Over time, you're going to say, hey, you know, we've been building a good car and we've been building a good car and then we make a mistake and we go down and then we come back. Uh, it's the manufacturers that continuously stay relatively high in their build quality that are the growing manufacturers. So, um, and, you know, and that changes from uh, from year to year. You know, everybody has their experience. Every manufacturer has their experience with recalls. And we've been talking about that here lately is the volume of recalls. You know, whoever it is is recalled, you know, 300,000, 400,000 vehicles. The question is, how does that recall impact the brand loyal customer of that manufacturer um, or does it not and in some instances it doesn't because their brand loyalty is stronger than their negative view of having a recall on their vehicle i, I know that sounds kind of weird but some of the asian import brand loyalty is sky high and european import oh, brand still loyalty here in the united states
0: how about the ford f150 i think is pretty much the same thing
3: exactly yeah that's a great example from an american car right.
0: Because, you know, when it comes down to it, and Mike and I have driven all of the trucks that there are to drive, all of them that are currently manufactured. And to me, personally, and I really don't have a brand loyalty. If it were anything, it would have been a Chevrolet back in the day. Not anymore, especially now that I drive all these cars all the time. But I will say, that, and I was never a huge Dodge truck fan, but in current day, the Ram brand? It it tops them all. Absolutely. I mean, same thing. I've had
3: Fords. I was real partial to Chevrolet, particularly when my my dream, my best buddy was the service manager and my son worked at the Chevrolet dealership. Service was great. Yeah. Well,
0: George,
1: George uh, came on and said that Takata actually did file Chapter 11, and they're selling their assets to somebody else in Japan. Thanks, George. I appreciate yeah. that. I Don't
0: buy that the time. assets because they'll blow up before you get them. <laughs> oh, they'll rust. I was I two. was always a GM fan, my,
2: or a GM brand loyal, because my dad was with General Motors. Sure. It, so, I think the last that, one I had... That's how they build those right, brands. Right. The last one I got was from uh, Richardson Chevrolet, as a matter of fact. <laughs> no, good good
0: to know. And these buffed little
1: pinstripe <laughs> lines in the edges of the paint, right?
0: Well, I'll tell you. So my cousin Steve up in Wisconsin, you guys know him. He uh, had his ginormous like 40 foot trailer that he towed around uh, it. was a fifth wheel. And he had a Chevrolet Silverado three quarter ton single wheels in the rear. Okay. And he drove it. I don't know. It was out of warranty. Mm -hmm. 50,000 miles or something on it. The turbocharger went out Hmm. and he'd had trouble with it before. And somehow some way they were able to fix it. Last time they had to take the cab off because the, turbocharger- oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: the turbocharger is underneath the cab, so they had to lift the cab off. Took him two weeks on the road with the fifth wheel behind him. Oh, gosh. He was ticked, and I'm saying that nicely. Ford has the same and thing. That yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. And that was the end of the Chevrolet brand for him. It's neat when you walk to the shop and you see the the
1: cabs are up here. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you got the, the technicians basically rodeo rodeoing the uh, exactly. engine and transmission because he's he's got one leg on each side of it while he's sitting on it and working on it. It's, so it's the, brand, more the brand
0: loyalty the went out the window. Right. He's back in a Ford now. Yeah, I used to walk through the shop and then the, it would be like that and
2: the
1: technicians crawling around. I, I need to drive that at 4 o'clock for a test. Well, <laughs> they have now, they actually have hardware jumper harnesses that you can jump the cab down to the chassis even though the cab's up in the air so you can get you can lower the cab enough to get in and start doing stuff to make sure that everything you're plugging in is working
0: all right well that was a good discussion 1021 I shouldn't even say that I don't know why that's the old uh, disc jockey thing coming out mm-hmm. but it's time now which was what I'm kind of getting to it's time for this hour's car review which is a 2021 Dodge Durango and mr Mars has that.
3: Dodge Durango S R T Hellcat. Oh
1: gosh.
0: Why do <laughs> All they give wheel you, drive? Why do they give you Hellcats? They should learn from that. I <laughs> love no, it. He should say, I'm sorry, I can't because I've got too many tickets and my driver's license has been suspended. No, he just sits there with a smile on his face. He <laughs> right. Says, do you have
3: the red key go- the key fob? And guess what's coming next week? Mm. And guess what's coming the week after that? Oh no. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> So we're talking about today. We're talking about the 2021 Dodge Durango SRT Hellcat. Now, this so right now is the only year they're going to make it. This is a one-year deal that they're putting all this that's, together. That's a shame. That's, that's gorgeous. Yeah. And if you look at it, it's it looks like a full-size SUV. Looks like a Shelby. It's actually yeah. smaller. Uh, no, it, it's in fact, FCA prefers to call it a, a mid-size. Which, if you look at their lineup, it should be full-size. But either way, so you're talking about a mid-size SUV. That has the Hellcat engine in it. So, uh, actually, you can get the Durango in five trim levels. This is the third gen, but this thing's been around since 2011. They just keep tweaking it and making things a little bit better. So, for this year, for the SRT model, they got a new front fascia. It's been kind of redesigned, give it a little more aggressive look to it it's got the long body lines that come and raise up into the rear fender lines the Hellcat and, hood and the Hellcat hood and it's all done but if you look at it uh, if there's a red one out there I don't know why I didn't grab that picture instead of this one but if you look at it to me that profile the lines on it remind me of the Dodge Magnum RT the, from the okay. profile look okay. at it from the back cool car and I just really like the way that it looks Uh, So it does have the sculpted hood, the the Hellcat hood. It's got the functional hood scoops with the heat extractors. The the air intake, I think it's like 60% of the air for the supercharger comes in through that air intake. So it's all very functional. It's got full LED lighting system, including the racetrack outline on the rear of it that uh, some of the Dodge products have become known for. That's a good-looking truck. It's got a full power lift gate on it. It's got the big red Brembo brakes so that it can stop this thing because it's rolling on some 20 by 10 wheels that are wrapped with some Pirelli rubber. 20 on. by 10? 20 by 10. Now well, well in the rear are they, are they staggered fit or is it no, all the no, way no. around? 20 10s all the all way around. Way around. Wow. Pirelli rubber. That's a, that's
2: a road ooh, course ooh, truck
3: there. Yes, yeah, sir and it'll it'll hook them up uh, and if you get to the inside of it again this is the third gen and it's been around now I guess typically uh, for 10 years which is kind of long for for a model but Inserting it's serving its purpose quite well. So, for the SRT, it's got two by two by two seating. It's a six passenger, but it's two, uh, and then the two in the middle, and then the third row. So, it's got performance leather and it's got suede inserts. And we had the optional suede headliner on the vehicle that we were driving. And it comes with a big 10.5 inch screen there in the center stack. And that's where you're going to find the new U Connect 5. That's going to give you screen access to everything, all the convenient controls. And for this year, They've kind of cocked it a little bit more towards the driver. It kind of cuts down on some of the glare. It makes it a little bit easier to see whenever you're over there looking oh, for your cool. Apple CarPlay or the Android. Or you can go in and go to the SRT performance pages just like you can on any of the Hellcat vehicles. And that's where you get in and do all your settings for the steering and the and the suspension, the street strip performance, and all that stuff. And then the interior... Uh, We had the black with the big heavy stitching, but it's got a lot of carbon fiber accents that runs through all throughout it. Now, if you really want to know, behind the third row, you can put 17.2 cubic feet of cargo, fold it down, get to 43. Fold the second row down, you get 85. But the interesting thing is that the front passenger seat will fold down flat, so you've got a long straightaway there to put some stuff. Now, this is where the meat comes in, under the hood. We're talking about the 62 liters. he say the, meat, comes said the meat? Yeah, yep. the meat of the 700-horsepower. And it ain't no 710, baloney. 710, 710 horsepower. That ain't baloney. And it is the most powerful SUV currently on the market. Uh, 710 horsepower, 640 pound-feet is torque, and it's backed by an 8-speed automatic transmission. Now, the Durango itself, properly equipped, you can tow 8,700 pounds on it. This particular one, I think it's limited to 7,000. Uh, the EPA says you should be looking for around 12 miles per gallon highway 15 combined you get 13. And and what I really liked about driving this vehicle. Are you vehicle, trying
0: to sweep that under the rug? Yeah, okay. and, I mean, and what, if did you're you about, if and what did you get? And what did you
3: get? If you're worried about fuel economy, you don't be looking at this vehicle. Yeah, what, did you, what did you What did you get, you get Mars? Well, I'm not going to tell us. I got 12, okay? I, I <laughs> And three tickets.
0: <laughs> Those don't count. So so how many tickets are, do you have you gotten in the in the last Nine months. None. Now, Mars. I'm not lying. Six months.
3: Where's the wood? (laughs) So, but on this particular vehicle, what's really cool about it is I mean, this is a muscle car, if you will. Oh, yeah. Muscle SUV because 0 to 60, it says it'll do it in 3.5 seconds with a top speed of 180 miles per hour and an NHRA measured quarter-mile of 11.5 seconds. And did SUV. you mess with the performance pages to find out if all of that Well, was I had to true? see if they were all there, if they were the same in all the vehicles, because now we've got this little run of Hellcats. I don't
0: even know why you're on this show. You're such a liar. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the other great thing about this is that the it has the the a dedicated sports-tuned suspension that goes with this vehicle, so the whenever mayor. you go through the pages, you can all set all that stuff up. But if you get out on the highway and you put it in what you would consider eco in most vehicles it actually has a very compliant very firm but a compliant ride out on the highway because you're talking about some 20 by 10 inch wheels to put lots of rubber doesn't have launch command it has launch control it has everything <laughs> Ain't nothing
1: eco about launch control
3: and i will tell you that when you buy this vehicle you do get a day of uh a days uh, buyers receive a day tuition in performance driving school to help you drive this vehicle Wow! now if you want to compare this to something. This got into be a little complicated because you look at the midsize SUVs, you're talking Highlander, Honda Pilot, Mazda CX-9. There's no comparison with what you're talking about. So you have to step over, maybe look at the Jeep Trackhawk, which is going to start at about $86,000, or maybe a BMW X3M at about $70,000. Or you can really step out there to the AMG GLC 63S that I think Don had once upon a time that's up over $100,000. So, if you really get into that. Now Don't you, be making fun of my car now. Uh, no, no, I'm just using it to level set on where this is at. So, so, if you're looking for a 2021 Dodge Durango XXT, the V6, bottom line, get into it, nice family little vehicle, $31,765. But, step up to the 2021 Durango SRT Hellcat all-wheel drive base price, $80,995. However, oh, we had a couple of options. We need, so we need to go. MSRP, <laughs> $90,315 Don't on the road <laughs> for hooking them for an SRT hot rod SUV.
0: All right. Thank you, sir. Yes, it is. And that's today's uh, car mm. presentation <laughs> by Mr. Mike Mars, who's our, a little our wordy. Our own Hellcat. And well, I, just, I
1: just enjoy these things. i got I got two more coming. So the In Wheel
0: Time Car Show streams on Facebook, YouTube, and InWheelTime.com. Podcasts available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeart Tune TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon, and Podcast Addict. InWheelTime In Wheel Time Car Show continues right after this quick break. Tailpipes and Tacos is Houston's premier cruise-in, and you're invited to join in. Whether you're a cruiser or a spectator, Tailpipes and Tacos is the place to enjoy made to order breakfast tacos, fresh coffee, and mingle with Houston's fun car people. Mark your calendar for Saturday, February 20th for Tailpipes and Tacos at the Loopy Tortilla Mexican Restaurant in Katy, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Tailpipes and Tacos is free, and everyone's invited. You will see collector cars, hot rods, customs, magnificent originals, and resto mods all at one location from all over Southeast Texas cruise in and show off in a friends and family event at the Loopy Tortilla Mexican Restaurant on the Grand Parkway at Kingsland Boulevard just south of I-10 and Katy. Drag racer, car enthusiast, and Loopy founder Stan Holt brings you Houston's hottest cruise in, Tailpipes and Tacos, Saturday, February 20th, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Loopy's and Katy. The in-wheel time car show will be there, too. Get your ride ready, and we'll see you at the Tailpipes and Tacos Saturday morning cruise in, February 20th, 8 to 11 a.m. at Loopy's and Katy, weather permitting. That's it for this podcast episode of the In Wheel Time Car Show. I'm Don Armstrong, inviting you to join us for our live show every Saturday, 9.30 a.m. to noon central on Facebook, YouTube, and our InWheelTime.com website. Podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn, Google Podcast, and Podcast Addict. Keep listening, and we'll see you soon.